weeks ago called Culture Making, and the meat of the book is not relevant to us, but the guy, the author's name is Andy Crouch, makes a distinction between postures and gestures. He defines a posture as our natural stance towards things. It's kind of our fundamental position, our default approach to life or to some segment of life. You get that, what your posture is. It's permanent. You have the same posture from situation to situation to situation. And he defines gestures. Again, you know what a gesture is, what I'm doing here. Gestures are temporary movements that help express thought, feeling, or uh, speech. For us, that part's not important. What is important is the idea of gesture as being something temporary. It's based on situations. Different situations calls for, call for different gestures. From the same posture, you can perform many different gestures. Let me give you, Andrew, will you come up here for a second? So, if my, if my gesture, if my posture towards people is openness, so I'll illustrate that with my arms open. So this is my posture towards people. I'm generally a trusting person, unless you prove that I shouldn't trust you. Um, I think most people want to be friendly. I don't think they're trying to take advantage of me or pull anything over on me. So this is my posture. I'm open towards people. Let me move this. From that posture, there are all kinds of different gestures I can have in terms just of something simple like greeting Andrew and just broad categories. There's, there's handshakes and there's hugs. We pull your hands out of your pocket. So like we can, we can shake hands. Just a simple handshake. My arms are open. We can high five. Uh, just like that. Just a regular high five. We can low five. We can low five with some other little thing after that if we want. They're fist bumps. Vertical, horizontal, explosions. Whatever you want. They're, all of these are fine gestures. They're actually multi-step handshakes. We can do the handshake, the this, and the this, and the this, and the little cowboy after. There are all kinds of multiple gestures, all from this posture of openness towards other people. So those are all handshakes. Maybe you can think of others. And there's also hugs. This is a category I tend not to move towards, but just for the sake of demonstration, we can do a side hug. This would be my favorite. There's a three-quarter hug where you do one arm. There's a full frontal hug. Never do this. Just like that. And then for people like me, this is, there's a full frontal hug with a pat. Now, if you, if you are a hugger and you're hugging someone who's not a hugger and they pat, let me tell you what that means. Let go. That, this is me tapping out. I'm done. It doesn't mean rub my back. It doesn't mean, oh, this is so good, squeeze harder. It means let me go. You've won, I'm done. You can sit down. Oh, wait, no, we got one more, I forgot. There's also a hybrid. I think this is, exactly, I think this is exclusive to -to male-to-male communication. It's the pull-in, so you get all the awkwardness of the handshake, and you get this weird, I've never seen girls do, girls don't do that, no. Y'all just go straight in for the hug. And girls don't, I don't know if girls shake hands with each other anyway. You can sit down. Thanks, Andrew. So you've got all these different gestures from the same posture of openness. Now, we could also have a posture towards people, and this may be you, and there's not necessarily anything wrong with this, where your posture towards people, maybe you're a little more closed off towards people. You're a little more cautious. Uh, Maybe you think you're, you're wondering what people want from you, and so your posture might be more like this. Your arms are folded. You're not like this, hey, come on, you're more like this. And from this posture, you can do a few of those gestures. You can maybe shake a hand or you can give a five. You can't really hug. But some of those same gestures that I just did with Andrew with my arms like this, you can do with your arms folded as well, depending on your posture, though they mean two different things. And this morning what I want us to look at are two postures towards life. 
Really, I think they're the only two postures towards life. I think everybody, everything that we do, everything that every one of us does or everything that every one of us doesn't do either comes from a posture of faith in God or a posture of unbelief or doubt in God. I'm just going to call faith in God faith and unbelief and doubt I'll use interchangeably. I think everything that every person does is either from a posture of faith or from a posture of doubt. And what we need to do is figure out which one we are, what is our posture. And before you say, well, I'm a Christian, so therefore, by default, my posture is one of faith, I wouldn't go there necessarily. Unfortunately, I think there are many Christians who live at least in areas of their life from a posture of doubt. And on the flip side of that, I think there are people who are outside the family of faith who actually live from a posture of faith. You can see this in Acts 10 and 11. We don't have time to read it. It's the story of Cornelius. It was a guy who was outside of the family of God, but who was responding to, um, in the Bible, it's, it's, called, it's referred to as light. It's revelation. It's how much of God Cornelius knew. And he got about this much, and he was responding to this little bit of light that he had in faith. And so God gave him more. He sent Peter to his house, and Peter explained the gospel, and Cornelius wound up becoming a Christian. And you'll, you'll see that at times in the world. People who don't know the gospel, people who don't know who Jesus is, people who maybe haven't read the Bible. They might be people who've been in church, but they've never really understood the gospel. They, they only have a little bit of light, but they're responding to that in faith. And God responds to that faith by giving them more revelation. And many of those people wind up becoming Christians. And that, that may be you here today. I would say from most likely, though, many of you in the room, you've already responded to the Lord but it could be that you're still living from a posture of doubt. And over time, that posture of doubt will devastate you. Hebrews 11.6 says, Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Therefore, everything we do from a posture of doubt, by definition, is displeasing to the Lord. No matter what it is, if it's done from a posture of doubt, it can't please God because without faith, it's impossible to please God. List all of the good works that you can think of in your mind, if they're done from a posture of doubt, they're not pleasing to God. They may be helpful to other people. They may win you the, a prize. And people might think you're the citizen or humanitarian or stud or whatever of the year. But if it's done from a posture of doubt, fundamentally, it's displeasing to the Lord. Only things that are done from a posture of faith are pleasing to him. Having a posture of faith, it's your arms are open to receive the grace of God. The grace of God is, is his unmerited favor. It's all the good things that he wants to give to us that we don't deserve, and we don't deserve any of them. Living from a posture of doubt, your arms are closed to the grace of God. You can't receive any of the good things that he wants to give you. Your arms are closed to his grace. You don't want to live like this. You don't, because then you're left to your own devices. We've been talking a lot about soil and plants and fruit and all of that stuff, and the way this ties in, if, you're, if we're not open to the grace of God, if we're not living from a posture of faith, ultimately there will be no good fruit in our life. The only fruit that will come is the fruit that we can make happen. And it'll be this much work for this much results. If you want to see fruit in your life, if you want to see God work, if you want to see change, all those things that we've talked about, we, you have to live from a posture of faith. Again, because by definition, from a posture of doubt, you're, you're not pleasing to God. Those things are not pleasing to God. I won't say you aren't. The stuff you're doing is not pleasing to God. It will cut you off from his grace. There will not be fruit in your life.
So if you want to see fruit from that thing you wrote on the card, that thing that you feel like, this is what God has put me on earth to do. This is my deal. If you want to see fruit, you've got to approach life from a posture of faith. And again, I think a lot of us, sometimes we can segment. When it comes to our eternal life, oh yeah, we're all, it's all faith with that. And we, we're trusting in Jesus to forgive us of our sins and to get us into heaven. But when it comes to living life here, a lot of us approach it from a posture of doubt. And one of the things that can be tricky is we don't recognize our posture unless it's pointed out. If I say something to you now about your posture, you're going to notice how you're sitting and whether your shoulders are back and whether you're slumping and your chin, like you'll notice all that. But if I don't bring it to your attention, you know, it's your natural state. It's your default position. And so it can be difficult to really know, am I living life from a posture of faith or a posture of doubt? And so the way we want to look at that is looking at two broad categories of gestures. Remember, gestures are these temporary movements that we do. It's, it's handshakes and hugs and all of the variations. We can't get into all of the variations because there's millions of them. What I want to look at is just two broad categories that will help you determine where your posture is coming from or what your posture is. Excuse me about that. So we're going to look at 1 Samuel 10, the first eight verses. Let me set this up. Samuel's a prophet and Saul is the first king of Israel. And 1 Samuel 9 and 10 is about their first meeting, Samuel anointing Saul to be the king and him giving Saul instructions on what being a king should look like. Remember, Saul's the first king. There's no blueprint on how kings are picked or what they're supposed to do. So chapter 9 is Samuel and Saul meeting, Samuel realizing, hey, this guy is the king, and him talking to Saul about all of that. And we're going to pick up in verse 10, starting in verse 1. Then Samuel took a flask of oil and poured it on Saul's head and kissed him, saying, Has not the Lord anointed you leader over his inheritance? So that's that idea of dumping oil on his head. That's Saul being anointed as king by the prophet. When you leave me today, and now he gives him three signs of what will confirm this. When you leave me today, you will meet two men near Rachel's tomb at Zelzah on the border of Benjamin. They will say to you, the donkeys you set out to look for have been found, and now your father has stopped thinking about them and is worried about you. He's asking, what shall I do about my son? Saul had left to go find some donkeys, and he runs into Samuel. So that's the first sign he's going to meet these two guys. Then you will go on from there until you reach the great tree of Tabor. Three men going up to God at Bethel will meet you there. One will be carrying three young goats, another three loaves of bread, and another a skin of wine. They will greet you and offer you two loaves of bread, which you will accept from them. After that, you will go to Gibeah of God, where there is a Philistine outpost. As you approach the town, you will meet a procession of prophets coming down from the high place with lyres, tambourines, flutes, and harps being played before them, and they will be prophesying. The Spirit of the Lord will come upon you in power, and you will prophesy with them, and you will be changed into a different person. Once these signs are fulfilled, do whatever your hand finds you to do, or excuse me, whatever your hand finds to do, for God is with you. Go down ahead of me till Gilgal. I will surely come to you to sacrifice burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. But you must wait seven days until I come to you and tell you what you are to do. So you've got Samuel anointing Saul, saying you're the king, and then giving him three very specific signs. You're going to meet two guys, and this is what you're going to say. You're going to meet three guys, and this is what they're going to have with them, and this is what they're going to give you, and this is what you're going to take. All of these things are designed for Saul, for Saul to get it, for Saul to realize, okay, God does want me to be the king. Again, there had never been a king. So God has kind of taken some extra steps here to make sure Samuel and Saul get it. This is where we're headed. I'm looking for a king. This is the king. And then Saul, excuse me, Samuel gives Saul a couple of words of instruction on what he's supposed to do. Again, there never been a king, so there's no model. There's no castle. What is the king supposed to do? 
And so Samuel's saying, here are the things you're supposed to do. And in this passage, I think, are the two broad categories of gestures that I want us to look at. Again, these aren't postures. These are the gestures. Your posture is faith or doubt. This is the handshakes and the hugs. The first one you can see in verse 7. Samuel says to Saul, do whatever your hand finds you to do. To me, this is the answer is yes unless you hear no. The light's green unless the light turns red. The default position is yes. The default position is the light's green. There will be times where God says no, but in general, the answer is yes. That's a broad category of gesture, and I would say it's appropriate in your daily life. Work, school, your daily routine, your primary relationships. In in that world, just your regular life, for lack of a better, it's not your nine to five life, it's your life, it's all of it. Just your regular life, the regular things of life. Again, work, school, relationships, your, your routine, running errands, whatever it is that you do. In that world, the answer is pretty much yes. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it. Just whatever's in front of you, that's what you need to be doing. The, the light's green. You don't need to pray about whether you should go to class tomorrow. You should. That's what's in front of you. You don't need to pray about whether or not you should pay your power bill. You should. That's what's in front of you. You don't need to pray about whether or not you should take your kids to preschool or whether you should buy groceries and whether or not you should be nice to your neighbor. You don't need to. That's in front of you, so do it. If you shouldn't, there'll be a stop sign. There might be times where you shouldn't do those things that are in front of you. God will throw up a red light. But in general, the stuff that's in front of you in your regular life, you should just do. If you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit lives within you. The Spirit of Jesus is inside of you. So live like it. I was thinking about this. I've been thinking about this for several weeks. We talk a lot about being children of God. And in my mind, it might be because I have kids this age. When I think children, I'm thinking toddlers, elementary school, that deal. And that is, we start that way. We start as babies. The Bible talks about being a baby in Christ. And then, but the point is to go on to maturity. God, at some point, is looking for adult children, adult sons and daughters, not kids that still can't tie their shoe and still can't feed themselves and can't make a decision. And he's looking for mature children. And I think if you read Genesis 1 and 2, this is to his first kids, to Adam and Eve, he says, you can do all of this. He gives them a mile of freedom and he gives them an inch of restriction. He says, be fruitful and multiply. Here's the garden. Work it. He's named the animals. You can eat any of the stuff in this garden except this one tree you can't eat from that. Everything else is yours. It's this broad commission. It takes them to a meadow and says, you can run anywhere you want except for that one place. It's a mile of permission and an inch of restriction. And I think that's what God wants for us. But a lot of times we miss that. We think of our deal or God's will for our life or whatever. It's, It's as thin as this edge of this sheet of paper and we're walking on this tightrope and we're so afraid of falling off to the left or the right that we don't do anything we're paralyzed by indecision because we're afraid we're going to screw up we're afraid we're going to miss it we're going to fall off we're going to blow the whole deal or whatever and i don't it's an interstate highway you're not going to fall off if you're a christian if you're doing what you're doing from a posture of faith faith is trust or confidence in god if you're doing that If that's how you're going about your daily life, you're good. The light's green. Just do what's in front of you. Whatever is in front, just do it. 
whatever's in front of you, if you're doing it from a place of trust and faith in the Lord. You don't have to worry about it. You don't have to micromanage each, you don't have to overanalyze each decision. Just go. He's given you His Spirit. He's given you the Word. You can decide His desire is to see us grow up and to mature men and women of God. I'm a failure as a dad if my kids are 25 and they're calling me saying, it says my, the odometer's flipped over, I need to get the oil changed, what should I do? You get the oil changed. I've failed if I haven't taught my children. My job is to train my children in the way they should go. There's things in me that they need. And then when they're adults, they should be living out of what I put in them. It's not that we're moving to a place of independence from God. It's that we're moving to a place of maturity where God has formed our hearts and we can live confident of who we are in Him and what He's called us to do. You shouldn't have to check with Him about every little thing. And I'm not, Again, it's not a matter of living apart from Him. It's actually a deeper level of dependence because He's formed your heart. You know Him. You know His character, and so you can live confidently in that. <laughs> there you go. That's fine. So, so that's the, 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 the first thing is, it's a yes. When it comes to your daily life, just the regular stuff, everything you're thinking about, the light's green. Just go. Now, there are people who do that from a posture of doubt. You can do it from a posture of faith or you can do it from a posture of doubt. There are people who do that. They do whatever their hands find to do, but they do it from a place of doubt. They're doing it from a place of not trusting in the Lord. And a lot of times doubt expresses itself through an overconfidence in ourselves. I don't trust God to take care of these things, so I'm going to make, I'm going to do everything because I've got to cover my own bases. I've got to make this, I've got to produce fruit in my life. I've got to take care of all this stuff. Because I don't trust God to. So Ruth Allen and I can be doing the same thing. And she's doing it from a posture of faith. And I'm doing it from a posture of doubt. Here's some things you can look at to see. If you're stressed, you're probably living from a posture of doubt. If you're at peace, you're probably living from a posture of faith. If you're striving, if you're trying to prove yourself or you're trying to get recognition, you're probably living from a posture of doubt. If you're at rest, you're probably living from a posture of faith. If you're motivated by guilt or obligation you're probably living from a posture of doubt. If you're motivated by love and obedience, you're probably living from a posture of faith. If you feel like you'll never do enough or everything you do is not good enough, you're probably living from a posture of doubt. If you're content, you're probably living from a posture of faith. Again, we can do the same thing, but if she's doing it from faith, kind of the fruit, her internal fruit, how she's going to be feeling about life is going to be completely different from me if I'm doing it from a posture of doubt. If I'm doing it from doubt, um, my tongue's dragging, I'm dreading when the alarm clock goes off, I'm feeling pressure, I'm feeling weight, I'm feeling burden that I can't carry because I'm carrying it. I'm not trusting or having confidence in God to take care of those things. Our days can look exactly alike, Ruth Allen's and mine. But if she's doing it from a posture of faith, the, the fruit that she feels in her heart will be completely different from what is going on in mine. So I'll just throw that out to you. If you wonder, am I living my daily life from a posture of faith or doubt, I would say, what are kind of the, what's the emotional fruit? Do you find yourself stressed out, burned out, guilty, over-obligated, not really enjoying life? Now, you might have times of that, but in general, what are you looking like? Or do you find yourself at peace 
at rest, confident in what you're doing. Even if other people aren't giving you positive feedback, you still feel good about what you're doing because you're doing it in faith, trusting God to take care of the results. Things don't work out. It doesn't throw you into a pit because God's taking care of you. It's not up to you. You get that. The second kind of broad category of gestures you see in verse 8. Samuel says to Saul, you must wait seven days until I come to you and tell you what you are to do. That's no unless you specifically hear a yes. The light's red. It's always red except when it's green. And God will tell you when it's green. Your assumption is it's red. Excuse me. And I would say that's on any major life change. When it comes to the daily living of life, the light's green. Just do what your hand finds you to do. When it comes to major life changes, the assumption is no, I'm not making them unless God specifically says to do that. Uh, for me, I would say major life changes are changing jobs, changing careers. Those of you in school would be changing, changing colleges, maybe changing majors, I doubt, and moving to a new town. Not moving across the street, moving to a new town. I would say those are major life changes. There might be other things that you can think of in your world that you would consider a major life change. And I would say if th- those things, the answers, it's always no, except when God specifically says yes. You don't need to waste time tomorrow looking for, unless God has told you to change your job, you don't need to spend a lot of time looking around. You don't need, I'm I'm not going to do that tomorrow. Like, you're my people. This is, I live in Marietta, this is my place. Until God says something else, these are where my roots are. And so this is where I stay. And if God wants to pick me up and put me somewhere else, he's going to have to tell me. My assumption is, I'm here. And so I'm going to fully invest here. Both of those gestures, those broad categories, they do the same thing. They allow you to focus on your life here. By saying in my daily life, if it's in front of me, I'm going to do it, it frees me up to do it. I don't spend a bunch of time in my chair wondering about what I should do. When it comes to major changes, the assumption is I'm not going to do it. That pushes me back here as well because I don't spend a lot of time dreaming about moving to a new city or doing new things or if these radical changes in my life happen then suddenly it would be better there's no thinking that the grass is i'm not looking at other pastures i'm looking at this one whether it's green or brown or whatever this is what i'm looking at i'm not looking across the fence those are major changes and if god wants me to move to a different place he's going to have to tell me You, you see what i'm saying so you've got when it comes to living life just do it don't spend a you don't have to analyze everything you don't have to Pray for seven hours to decide what you should wear in the morning. Just do it. Just do what's in front of you. And when it comes to major life decisions, don't do it. Stick where you are until God tells you to leave, and he'll make it plain. You're not going to miss that. If he wants you to move somewhere else, if he wants you to change careers, he's gonna, he'll make that known to you. He'll, he'll make it plain. You don't have to wonder on a regular basis, am I doing the right thing? Am I doing, is this right for me? Yes, it's right for your life. Until he tells you it's wrong for your life, it's right for your life. Again, if you're doing it from a posture of faith. Now, other people never make changes, major life changes, but it's from a posture of doubt. And this could be you. If you're not, if you're unwilling to make these major life changes because you're afraid or because you're complacent, you're probably living from a posture of doubt. That's not faith. If you're not doing it because you're afraid of what's on the other side of the door, you're afraid to leave, or because you're too comfortable with where you are, you're unwilling to... You're just kind of in the status quo, and you're not willing to change that. It's because you're kind of lazy. 
or complacent about it. Neither one of those is good. And that's probably coming from a posture of doubt. So again, two areas of your life. Your daily life and major decisions. Your daily life, it's green. Just go. The light's green. God will let you know if you should do something different in your daily life. And the same thing is true with major decisions. It's, it's red. You don't, need to, you don't need to make a sharp turn. You don't need to veer off course. God will let you know if you should. Now, over time, gestures become postures. Misty um, has great posture. She's pregnant now, so her posture is not awesome. But before that, her posture was great. And, and this will embarrass her, I think some of it was she was a beauty queen when she was in middle school and high school. So she did practice. There was a lady, she's from a small town in South Georgia, and there was a lady that you went to, she's from Blakely, a lady you went to in Blakely when you're serious about winning. And this woman, she, she gave you the deal, and she produces, she produces, people win after they go see this woman. And so, Misty, you know, you go and they teach you how you, I don't have good posture, so I'm trying to remember what you do, you, whatever, back straight, shoulders back, chin up, <laughs> chin 90, whatever you're supposed to do, this lady teaches you how to do it. Misty did that over time, and those gestures have become her posture. It's her natural, the natural way she sits and stands now. It's her default position is good. Mine is slouchy. Hers is not. Her gestures over time became her posture, and the same thing is true in terms of your approach to life. If you choose faithful obedience, if you choose these gestures of faith over time, your heart will be formed, molded, and shaped, and your posture will be one of faith. If you don't choose faith, you will doubt by default, and doubt wins by default. Faith is not a default. Faith is a choice. Doubt is the default. And if you look at your heart, and you've got ten areas of your heart, and nine of them, you would say, I have a posture of faith. But there's this one area. It's this one relationship. There's this one situation. It's this one thing where you live in doubt. If you don't address that doubt, even though it's just this one sliver Over time, that sliver of doubt will grow. It will seep into these other areas of your life, and you're going to find yourself with your arms folded to God. Not just in one area, but in every... We've talked about that before. This hardness in our heart, it just... It creeps. It doesn't stay confined into one room of our life. So, unless you make a choice to move from doubt to faith, the default for all of us is is doubt. That's the the non-choice. And so we have to be intentional about gestures of faith, which will eventually lead to a posture of faith. And then that will be our natural position. And we'll approach life like this, with our arms open, ready to receive the grace of God, not like this, with our arms folded so we can't receive the grace of God, which actually keeps us from getting where we want to go. Having your arms folded only hurts you. It keeps you from receiving the good things that God wants to give to you. Good? Good. Let's pray. Guys, you guys, worship team, you want to come back up?